0: Tired of the same boring and unhealthy diet of corporate media propaganda and the distraction du jour? Your antidote is here at Cindy Sheehan's Soapbox. Real, revolutionary, and relevant news and talk with fascinating and brilliant guests. Prepare to be informed and motivated with your
1: friend and host, Cindy Sheehan. back to The Soapbox. I'm your host, Cindy Sheehan. Today we welcome back singer, songwriter, activist, blogger, podcaster, David Rovix, another old friend of mine. Dave and I will be talking about cancel culture and other super interesting things. So stay tuned and we'll be right back with David Rovix. David Rovix, welcome back to Cindy Sheehan's Soapbox. It's been a minute.
0: It has way As too long. <laughs> As they
1: say. As they say. We've gotten into some pretty funny uh, situations together. But um, tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, because it has been a long time since you've been on the show, even longer than, you know, than uh, our last interactions with each other.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would I would. Well, I'm a, I'm a singer songwriter and I write a lot of essays these days and um, and. First met uh, Cindy Sheehan in uh, at the at the um, Veterans for Peace conference in Dallas in 2005. Of course, I was doing other things before that, but that was a a very memorable weekend.
1: Uh-huh. And
0: uh, and that uh, and I was already you know very much involved with the anti-war movement and global justice and labor and environmental movements as a songwriter and performer. That's my that's my background in a nutshell.
1: Great. I want to tell a funny story about uh, us. So we were together at the, I think it was a G20 protest in Pittsburgh.
0: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Gosh. Yeah. I was, I I was thinking, which which story are you going to tell? I was thinking about DC, (laughs) but then that one, that's really good. Yeah.
1: I was going to say, you know, I was there with uh, another colleague that I don't even want to mention his name, but um, so you and, and me and the other guy, we were kind of sticking together at this protest and we went to, we went to one protest together where, and another uh, woman was there. I forgot who that was, but
0: mm. we went Sarah to Sarah Wellington, I believe. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I, was <laughs> I haven't there. seen her
0: since then, but I remember. Well, her
1: name. No, I haven't either. So we were at this protest and all of a sudden the cops started using, uh, force to disperse us. And, the other guy and I got separated from you and Sarah. So the other guy and I were literally running through Pittsburgh being tear gassed. You know, I had to stop and puke at one time. And, and we couldn't we couldn't get back together with you. And so we're running through the city dodging rubber bullets, uh, being tear gassed. And you keep on texting us that you're in this hotel lounge <laughs> having beer with a frickin' You know, Prime Minister of um, Australia. Australia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean,
0: at first we were also being chased by riot cops. Two right. different groups of riot cops coming at us in two different directions. It was like totally out of a comic, you know, like a, a, out of a cartoon. And I, and, I right. and but I was envisioning, you know, really bloody, broken bone kind of mess that wouldn't be in the cartoons, you know. And I was thinking, we're doomed. You know, there's two groups of riot cops and they're coming at us from two different directions. And so, but then we saw this little alleyway, what I thought was an alleyway. And I thought, okay, well, we get 20 more seconds before we die. And, you know, and then we run down this alleyway and it's a ho- it's a holiday in Express. And so we, we go in, sit down at the bar, order beers, and suddenly we're hotel guests. And it was just the most bizarre transition and the cops never came in. It was so strange.
1: It's so funny. And we were like, also like the, the Australian contingent to the G20 was staying at the Holiday Inn Express.
0: All 25 limousines <laughs> full of them. It was so crazy. We're sitting there and, and it's like we're, we're just, it's like we realized that like half the people in the bar are people that were running from the cops and are now pretending to be Holiday Inn guests. One of whom was uh, Marcus Rediker's son who was happened to be sitting next to me, a, a professor at the university who I'm, I'm a big fan of. He uh-huh. wrote great books about the history of piracy and and uh, and I'm talking with this guy and I'm like, oh. you know, we then we find out, oh, OK, he's Marcus Redeker's son. And he was also going to the, to be a grad. He was a grad student, I believe, at the time. And he ran. He was running from the cops, too. And, and then we you know, so then I, I realized like half of us in there our our protesters and uh, we're all trying to you know lay low and be quiet and all this and and just act like chill hotel guests whatever they might be like you know well, but uh, then there's right. then the Australians come and one in the morning like the, the security comes in and they say hey you all your protesters have to leave and at the time they come in, we can literally hear people being attacked by the police like a hundred feet away, and um, and we're like, uh, <laughs> you guys don't have guns, and the cops do. <laughs> we're right, not going right. anywhere. <laughs> and then and then like a, like what it was like a half hour later. That's when all the limousines full of Australian politicians showed up, and that's when we found out. Oh, uh, now we see why they wanted us to leave.
1: <laughs> well, the thing is too it's so funny as you said, it was like this this uh, comedy or something, and I feel like. They could have made a movie about me and the other guy trying to get back to the Holiday Express. You know, because that was our after, like, and we were never safe from the cops. You right. know, no matter how far we ran, we were never safe from them. And they it was all about. everywhere,
0: right? They left yeah, the campus. I mean, they, they were telling absolutely. everybody to get off the campus. And then they were just right. chasing us throughout the city.
1: Right. It was crazy. And so we finally made it back to where you guys were. And, yeah, I think that was one of the. That was one of the, even though it was very serious and why we were there to protest is very serious. And it was very dangerous. You know, it was very dangerous to be out there.
0: I mean, I don't know if you, I saw people getting, I saw a woman on the campus so violently knocked down from her bicycle. You know, that's a long fall when you get hit hard.
1: Yeah, we were still together at that point when that happened. Uh And they, they like, Knocked her off her bike and then, like, set upon her. It was very, uh, it was a very scary night. And she was just riding her bike through the campus. Yeah. I don't even think she was protesting. I think she was a student. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So that was, that was a funny night. But, um, so I'm so glad I reached out to you because it really has been too long since we chatted. And that's, that's inexcusable on, on my, my, um, side. But, what, uh, the reason I reached out to you was because you were recently uh deplatformed or canceled from an event that you had been invited to. Do you want to share your um, your experience and your thoughts about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, this kind of thing has been going on for a long time, but it's just stepped up so much um, during well, since social media and then especially during the pandemic, um, and it's it's very, uh, I think, a, a nefarious, complex phenomenon that has as much to do, I think, with uh, government uh, agents or other disruptive elements that are unknown that are being paid to work full-time doing this kind of thing, and a combination of other people who just have lots of time to spend all their time doing this kind of thing. Um, it, it is a um, it is not just a pro type of thing. There are definitely real people involved with these kinds of campaigns, including with the campaign against me, um, which is why it's uh, particularly disturbing because this kind of um, mentality has um, metastasized throughout the sort of uh, left liberal anarchist, uh, you, know, cult, you know, wings of this society and really just throughout the society um, really more broadly.
1: Right.
0: Uh, And it's just this tendency to find um, the most minor possible micro transgression. That's a new word. I invented it um, (laughs) to find the most minor possible micro transgression that somebody has allegedly supposedly maybe committed. Uh And then, um, you know, turn this uh, whatever it is into, um, you know, a a, a massive issue, um, blow it all out of proportion, um, you know, make all kinds of stuff up it isn't true and just try to get somebody um, somebody's career ruined and you know what people do is every time I'm doing anything that's getting any attention like on social media or in the news or word of mouth or whatever like promoting a protest or I'm going to be singing at a protest that I'm promoting or I'm organizing something or helping organize something whatever it is if I'm as a name in the news in any way uh, then they they pounce and and they uh, they write messages to any, anyone associated with the event or with me and they end up. what happened with the with the dsa um event which it was the the democratic socialists were having an a rally in portland in solidarity with the city workers who were going to go on strike and no longer but they were considering the possibility and um we had a rally um which i was supposed to sing at and then i was uh, publicly on twitter disinvited from singing at the rally by the dsa portland's uh public twitter account and it's it, it's clearly because the the young, impressionable, naive folks involved with groups like that, which is not to say anything, nothing wrong with being young, impressionable, and naive, but they 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 do tend to go together, these uh, things. And um and I don't think young people are any better at telling truth from lies on social media than older people are. And in generally, I think they're probably worse at it because yeah. they've grown up with it and they they don't know anything else. They don't they don't know how much their minds are being controlled by algorithms because they've never known anything other than that. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a very, very scary time uh, to be alive. And I'm and I find especially uh, young leftists uh, these days to be alarmingly ignorant of a lot of things they should know about. And, And that's and I don't. it's not their fault. You know, there's there's just no. There hasn't been a con- the kind of um, kind of infrastructure for ongoing education on the left that that you can see quite evident in other countries like Denmark. We don't have that here so much. So it's like every ten years, it's like everybody has to try to reinvent the wheel, and they're doing a real bad job of it currently.
1: Well, what I see um, in cancel culture is. Yes, you know, young people, idealists are, are involved in it. But I also see a lot of, you know, older liberals who want to, like, they're so mad at um, book banning, which, you know, I think is absolutely atrocious. Mm. I agree. But, you know, books should not be banned. The Seattle... Uh, Seattle School District, which is pretty liberal, just said that they weren't going to teach To Kill a Mockingbird anymore. <laughs> and so I think, that
0: is shocking. Well, and that was Seattle. I thought when I heard the news, I thought, was oh, this another story about Tennessee? But no, it was Seattle. <laughs> it was
1: Seattle. And so I just think that, you know, any when you get into any kind of, of course, <clears throat> when you're teaching school, you have to have age-appropriate materials uh, for <laughs> for your young students or your students to um, study. But I read To Kill a Mockingbird when I was in fifth grade, and it changed my life. It made me a better person. and I think it made me a better person. So, <clears throat> you know, I think that any kind of banning is ridiculous. But what this says to when these liberals or even conservatives start to try and cancel people and ban people because they don't agree with everything they say, what it's telling me is I don't have, they think I don't have the mental capacity to choose choose my own uh, media, my own things I want to watch or read or, or listen to. And That really, like, I think it's really a slippery slope when you say, okay, book banning is terrible when Republicans do it, when conservatives do it, but, you know, let's cancel Joe Rogan. I think that that is um, terribly hypocritical and it sends a, a bad message, I think. That if we disagree with what Joe Rogan says, then we should be able to say, this is what I disagree about, this is why, but not say that we just want to completely cancel that person.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's kind of a, a complex phenomenon because the sort of cancel culture phenomenon is different depending on, I mean, I'm just thinking out loud here. I'm not sure if I'm if it's actually true. Is uh-huh. it different depending on whether we're talking about liberals or whether we're talking about the... The far left or the anarchists? Do they have the same agenda in terms of why they want to cancel people? I'm I'm not entirely sure because there's a, I think there's a lot of overlap, but it, mm-hmm. I mean yeah yeah I think it, you're it's, right. It's fairly, yeah. like one thing. Mm. W- w- there's one thing. I mean there, there one thing I would. Uh, w- well, my latest piece in Counterpunch is is out um, in today's um, Counterpunch, but it's on this very subject and and sort of trying to deconstruct or unpack this stuff because. I think like when we're talking about the censorship versus free speech debate, I mean, I think I agree we, there shouldn't be censorship, but um, it doesn't necessarily address the question of Joe Rogan, um, who, who I completely agree should not be censored and should be able to interview whoever he wants. But the question with platforms like Joe Rogan's, um, for for me anyway, and for some other people, is the question of why does Spotify see fit to spend $100 million on an exclusive contract to have uh, you know they're not distributing his podcast they host it and promote it and as as their number one piece of content which i'm not saying they that's i mean you know maybe it is their best and most popular content and that's a sensible move for them from a business perspective but you know they are a massive corporation and for them to be able to have such influence on what we Here in, you know, is is problematic. You know, that's the that's what's problem. And also what's problematic with social media are the algorithms. And there again, I'm not for censoring anybody on social media. The problem that I have with these corporate platforms is that they promote disinformation through their algorithms. And that's crazy. And they shouldn't be allowed to do that. And, and there should be a different, they shouldn't have these algorithms. They they should be, I don't think these algorithms should exist. They're, they're manipulating our minds and they're wrong. And there's, I think if we're going to live in democratic societies where we can control the media environment through laws in some kind of ways, like uh, passing laws around things having to be, you know, you, you can't just throw around random information unless you can back it up, some of that kind of stuff. I mean, I think the, the the social media feeds should be chronological, like they were in, when they f- were first invented, not based on algorithms. Right. And if they and, were, uh, they, it right. would be all would be much less popular, but it would be much more honest and, and much harder for for disinformation to go viral. Not that it would be impossible, because it's always easy for that to happen, because it's always being amplified on corporate media platforms, regardless of what we do uh, with social media. So, you know, but but in terms of the, the cancel culture. Uh, the the they talk about unsafe space, you know, and this is this is the this is the um, the mentality that has metastasized. I mean, of course, it's like it's so important to believe victims who have been attacked by or wronged or injured or whatever uh, by somebody else, but you can't just do that indiscriminately with no evidence whatsoever, you know. And what happens uh, w- when you take this extreme kind of like believe anybody who says they've been victimized or not even victimized but says they feel uncomfortable because that's now a form of victimization if you feel uncomfortable in the room with somebody else i mean i was actually told apparently by an anonymous person on twitter who claims to be jewish that they don't feel safe being around me because i'm an anti-semite which that's is completely way. preposterous because i'm not an anti-semite and <clears throat> and therefore like how can this be possibly even believed for a second as being a credible Allegation or, you know, even if things- you
1: were, um, did, can that person point to any incident where you attacked a Jewish person?
0: No. Well, their, their evidence for me being an anti-Semite is that I have failed to denounce Gilad Atsman as an anti-Semite. And therefore, oh, by yeah, talking yeah. to him and having an, on my on my YouTube channel for my okay. massive audience of 100 people, Right. Uh, that that makes me an anti-Semite by extension. And he's by been on my show
1: as well. And you know what? That was an early one. Gilad Asmon was an early kind of uh, test thing. To it was an early purity test thing, and it was a it was a way to divide. Um, I don't want to say us yes on the left because those those. Uh, Labels don't mean much anymore. I know no, I got a lot of crap. I got a lot of crap for having them on my show as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Anyone who has them on their shows always gets a lot of crap.
1: Yeah. But it was an early. It was like one of these early test subjects, I think, where you just, it just is like, What? <laughs> you know, how yeah. can, how can it, to me, in the beginning, when this happened, I was just flabbergasted, you know, at all of this, this, uh, these accusations and things start flying around. And again, how is having um, him on our show? How, how does that even make us anti-Semite in the first place? They can't really answer those questions.
0: No, they can only say that, that 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 according to their out of context quotes that they um you know like love to throw around some of which are just actually made up quotes. Uh, they uh, they quote uh, Gilad and they don't explain what you know the, anything about the context of the quote or or of course if if it's a actual misquote they don't tell us and then they say look this guy is an anti semite and you can tell based on this out of context quotes and any and anybody who agrees or you know doesn't agree that he's an anti semite based on this very little bit of information we're just providing is therefore also an anti semite you know that's the it's the guilt by association thing and it's uh. You know, and then because you know you're an anti-Semite for having ever talked to Gilad or for having ever um, not condemned him for being an anti-Semite, then you know you're now that you're established as an anti-Semite and an, and a Holocaust denier because he's also accused of that, which is complete nonsense. Uh, you know, then you're um, you're also these things. And then you're unsafe to be around for anybody else who is, um, you know, Jewish or or sensitive about Holocaust denial, denialism or whatever. And it is just this complete, you know, wreckage of nonsense. You know, but then people are confronted with all this information usually at the last minute because the 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 tactics and there are tactics. Yeah, These are organized yeah, people yeah, that's, with tactics. That's you know, very
1: that's a very good point. The last yeah. minute. Go ahead with that yeah. point.
0: Yeah, you know, always at the last minute, like a day before, two days before, a few hours before, they con- they 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 deluge the organizers of an event with uh, all kinds of sock puppet accounts or other idiots or government agents or some combination thereof, writing uh, dozens of of, uh, of of angry, hostile, uh, often uh, you know bizarrely. Sexist and and other you know weird you know messages, but they they send these are not leftists as far as I can tell. I mean they're they it doesn't take long at all for most of these Twitter trolls to start saying the most abusive, horrible, sexists, you know. They, sexism seems to be their number one go to thing, and uh-huh, there right. it, it seems to be clearly a bunch of you know testosterone damaged young men, but. In any case, whoever it is, I mean, this is this is what they do, and they overwhelm organizers with all this stuff last minute. People get scared that, that this is real, that they're going to attack uh, the event, like they threatened to do, or they're going to heckle, or whatever they're threatening to do, and then they cancel the event. and in 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 all in reality, like at I went to the rally that I wasn't allowed to sing at, and I walked through the crowd. I looked everybody in the eye and the whole crowd. I'm quite certain none of those trolls were there in reality. And I'm pretty sure there's only one of one or two of them in the city of Portland, you know, really, uh, and and they just stay home and you know look at their phone all the time.
1: Well, another thing you pointed out in your piece um right after that happened was that, you know, you have worked with uh, DSA uh, in your in your community and um, nationally for a long time. You have a long history and there should have been with this long history of um, mutual support. They, they should have like given you the benefit. I don't know if you put these yeah. backwards, but I think they should have given you the benefit of the doubt. You exactly. Know, because that you should know, be the
0: assumption. Yeah, we've,
1: we've, you know, you much longer than me, but we have this long history of, you know, consistently um, standing up for our principles, standing up for oppressed people and, um, you know, for social justice and peace. And then to let these strangers just derail, not just you, but the event which, in my opinion, would have been a better event if you were, you know, allowed to play.
0: It Sure. It's, would. There was no
1: music. Incredible. Anyway, they, they didn't
0: replace me with a different musician. They just didn't have music.
1: Well, you know, it probably would have been hard to find an acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, definitely. Yeah. There to what they're saying. And that's what I don't get. Why don't we get some some. Um, breathing space for what we've what we've done you know it just because it's happened to me too i've been canceled yeah as well
0: i want to so. hear about what happened to you Is in indiana i mean this is it's a culture <laughs> it's the problem that's yeah. it's this this culture of paranoia they're all scared to be canceled themselves right and they they believe in in this idea of of uh, you know making accusations against your comrades because it's it's seen as some form of you know activism and I'm quite certain that that the reason why this kind of thing is so much worse in the United States than anywhere else that I know of is because of the Puritan tradition of, of you know moral purity moral outrage everything is boiled down to morality rather than you know any kind of like trying to achieve anything practical you know we boil things down to morality in this in this culture and it's it's this it's toxic. And I think it's also the other society where you can find this kind of thing in a in a big way is Germany, and and it's a legacy okay. of the Holocaust. It's it's you know it which is an which was another form of Puritanism, just a, a more a more uh, horrible you know you know even more horrible version of Puritanism than than our more slow genocide version of Puritanism here. You know, they they did it all much faster with right. technology. You know, but it was the same mentality.
1: Well, another thing that really gets me about cancel culture is that. Um, you know, you talk about moral depravity. The people who are really morally depraved are the ones in Washington, D.C., the elected officials, the, you know, big uh, military-industrial complex, the media, Wall Street, you know, big pharma. These are the people who are morally depraved. And instead of us... um, you know, working together and saying, we don't have to have 100% purity tests to work with other people against the real enemies of peace and justice and equality. You know, so this this uh, cancel culture, like I think you said government agents earlier, I think that it is serving these ruling moral depraved interests, and so they—if they're not part of it, they might as well be part of it.
0: Absolutely, you don't need to do to be a, a cop to do a cop's job, as Ward Churchill said. But yeah, totally. I mean, you know, the the real morally depraved the real actual you know genocidal killers if we want to talk about you know people who are perpetuating a, a holocaust i mean let's talk about the the people that run this country who who, mm-hmm. who are facilitating uh, the the end of the world by not dealing with climate change and by continuing to vote for 700 800 billion dollars a year to spend on the most polluting Entity in the world with the U.S. military and then to, you know, invade other countries, destabilize other countries that, you know, I mean, the influence of the United States around the world is so overwhelmingly negative. And yet these people are too busy attacking their fellow leftists than uh, you know to to do much else with their time i mean literally if you look at the twitter accounts of my critics they literally spend all their time criticizing other leftists you know so when i first started actually not blocking them but looking at their accounts before blocking them Uh then i realized oh okay i'm in really good company here except for this one dude who's who actually dedicates his entire life to um ruining my career i mean it's all he does but uh, other people have multiple targets. And just recently, last night, I learned that uh, the same Twitter trolls who are targeting uh, me, at least some of the same ones, are also uh, targeting um, – uh, oh, gosh, no, I'm spacing on his name. But who just – Vijay. Vijay Prashad, who just uh-huh. – uh, you know, who, who – um, apparently is guilty of of not calling the um what's going on in western china a genocide and and that makes him a genocide denier so now they're you know and then they make up all kinds of other stuff and and it's just crazy so he, he's in the same week that i wrote something you know in counterpunch defending myself against ridiculous charges he did the same thing
1: yeah, um, I'll have to find that link for when I post the show, the Counterpunch article that you just posted. I don't think I've seen it. Um, so <clears throat> another thing about these algorithms, I think that they're, of course, they're using social media to mine our data, right? They, <laughs> yeah. Like Google has more uh, more on us than the government does. Oh yeah, yeah right. Definitely. They have way more data on us than the government. They know everything about about us, and you know, so they're mining data not just for for their own um, you know business, but they're mining it for the government. They are they are collaborating with the government, and these algorithms are becoming scary efficient. Yeah, you know, it's like. I think that the they're of course using predictive um, algorithms if if that's that's the thing. But it's like I could be thinking, gosh, you know, I really need um, some new bathroom towels. And yeah. all of a sudden, I don't even say it. But yeah. what I've been writing <laughs> in social media and emails or what it, or what. And I haven't looked for them yet because I just started thinking about it, right? Yeah. And all this just sudden, happened to me
0: yesterday. I wasn't, uh, I didn't yeah, write about it, but I was talking I about
1: get, it. Yeah, I get, I start getting ads for bath mm-hmm. towels. You know, yeah, I'm sure so they're it's listening, and I, I'm pretty super sure I said sophisticated.
0: Very. And, and I and I'm sure that I don't have I'm sure that I didn't I opted out of any kind of like, you know, l- l- you know, if they asked, can, can we listen to you all the time? I would have said yeah. no. But, right. you know, what happens is like just yesterday I was talking about how we need an, a new um, charger uh, for a C type charger and then um and i didn't do any searches or or anything just talked about it with my daughter and then as soon as i opened the computer the first thing that comes up is uh an ad for c type chargers
1: that just gives me chills it just it, it just gives and, and what can we do you know yeah. um that guy i for, always forget his last name but his first name is Jeron, jaron j-a-r-o-n Mm-hmm. And he is like one of he's really one of the inventors of the Internet, one of the big ones with either Microsoft or uh, Apple. He's a futurist, uh, um, you know, a, a, a new there's got to be a new philosophy of Internet, you know, and so he's like a philosopher of um, what's going on in, in um, virtual reality Internet. He says the only thing we can really do is just disconnect from everything, you know, uh, get off our mobile phones, get off of all social media, don't really own a computer or whatever. And so it's a good ideal, but it's not really um, practical.
0: No, it won't do anything for the rest of society. I mean, if everybody's getting you know, if everybody's getting offline and closing their social media accounts all at the same time, that's wonderful. I'd be all for it. But mm-hmm. if I'm the only one doing it and you are doing it, then that's not going to help the situation at all.
1: No, it uh, would just help ourselves. And
0: yeah, well, it, which for your own mental health, that's very yeah. valuable. And I've been spending less time on social media and less time consuming news over the past couple – well, the past year, especially since these attacks stepped up and uh-huh. – um, Just uh, for my mental health, which is, you know, just great for me and it's great for my learning how to play the mandolin. But it's um, terrible for the movement because I'm a useful asset. And um, and, and if, if I'm not doing stuff, that's not helpful to the movement.
1: Right. And just in last year in 2021, I only use Facebook. I don't have Twitter or any other <laughs> accounts, you know, and I know I, I should because Facebook is really just for people around my age. But um,
0: Twitter is the worst yeah. I mean in terms of your mental health and, and abusive right. behavior. It's the worst.
1: I do look at Twitter, but I don't really I don't participate in Twitter. But what um, happens last year, I was banned seven times. Seven um, times? Seven times on Facebook. So for thirty days each. Oh and, by Facebook. Not not, yeah.
0: not, not not disinvited from speaking no, at no, seven No, by events. Facebook.
1: Okay. By Facebook. Seven times for thirty days each. For what? Um oh, just a variety of things. You know, questioning um, the the You know, questioning lockdowns or whatever. And um, questioning Biden, whatever I got banned for, I got banned for. One time I got banned because one of my friends, (laughs) she was joking about something um, one of her nephews did. And I just jokingly put, oh, my God, boys are animals. And I got banned for 30 days for saying that. Oh, my goodness. What, is this seen as being an an insult to to males? (laughs) Or maybe animals. Maybe I was insulting animals.
0: Somebody's tagging. Somebody's watching your Facebook account and reporting right, you at I'm every possible I'm
1: very, I'm very closely watched. But the thing about that is, you know, I use Facebook uh, was a reliable source of income for me. If I wanted to promote a book I was selling, or if I wanted to exactly. promote an event we were having, and it also takes me out of, you know, takes me out of debates.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I was banned. I've been banned for some of the most important things that have been happening um, around. And it takes my name out of out of circulation or whatever, because you know I have thousands and thousands and thousands of, of followers on my personal account and on Cindy Sheehan's Outbox. So it just yeah. takes me out, and they that's what they want. They want me taken out, <laughs> you know. Really. And so this is this is like. Since, for two years, since it, social media and the soapbox is the only thing I've been able to do because yeah. of mandates and lockdowns, um, I haven't been able to, able to And then you're dependent
0: on these anything. platforms.
1: Right. No. I haven't been able to do anything. And Jeron Lanier argues that for every post you make on these social media platforms, you are making them money. Oh, yeah. And we don't see any of that money. And then they can do things like this. Cancel culture and um, social media social social media algorithms can do things like you said. It's your livelihood. Yeah. That that's being harmed.
0: And what if they what if, like in the old days before uh computers, what if they were just like disconnecting your phone for a month every time you said something wrong on the phone you know would they I mean you know this it, it would be it would be scandalous back then if that kind of thing was a regular practice, but then for a corporation to do that to our our main means of communication, main means of promoting events, making any money I mean it's um Yeah, it's really, it's scary new uh, world. But of course, also, you know, Facebook, um, I'm pretty sure you've been on Facebook long enough that you um, are, you probably had the same experience that the way it used to be uh, set up with the chronological news feed, uh, if I posted something, anything, a song, a gig, whatever, it would get a lot of attention thousands of people would see that Um, but then uh, because I have thousands of followers but then um, Once they changed the algorithm uh, once once they introduced the algorithmic newsfeed so that it wasn't so any longer Chronological suddenly for me and for so many other content providers out there And I've talked to many who've had the identical experience that all of a sudden overnight We stopped getting hardly any attention when we posted anything and if you want to get any attention you have to pay
1: right and so Another thing that they have done to me over, uh, you know, time is they tell me that they're putting my posts at the bottom of the newsfeed. I'm being punished. So, you know, even when I'm not banned, I get so much fewer um, likes and shares and stuff than I used to.
0: Yeah, that's that's the algorithm. <clears throat> I mean also. Right. I mean they but of course they it may me. be who knows it might me. be Oh yeah. they tell you that. Yeah, they, actually they tell, they you tell that.
1: me. They tell me I get a notification. Your posts oh have been goodness. moved to the bottom of the newsfeed for thirty one days, ninety days, whatever they arbitrarily just wow. decide. And so talk about um before I you know, um we're not running out of time cuz there's no time limit but i don't want to keep you for too long no, but I, so i have nothing to do <laughs> okay <laughs> so um talk more about spotify and how that's affected uh music and just in general
0: yeah sure i mean in general i mean like what if i I, I still like Spotify a lot better than I like Facebook. I, I just want to like pre, uh-huh. pre, pre uh, you know introduce my comments about Spotify by saying that I think I think Facebook, Google are uh, have have even more uh, horrendous uh, corporate practices um, uh, than than uh, Spotify does. But uh, Spotify has almost like single-handedly destroyed uh, the music industry. And it was already uh, crippled. I mean, it was already, Collapsed. I mean, the, the uh, music industry broadly overall between 1997 and 2017 um, w- was reduced in size by five times. So it was 20% the size that it was before in t- as an economic thing. And, and this isn't just for the major labels. This is across the board. And then uh, Spotify, when Spotify started their um, – I mean, basically, there's a lot of uh, confusing – Ideas out there, and that's very intentional, and partly Mm -hmm. also not intentional. But there's a lot of confusing ideas out there. A lot of people think that um, that music, that downloading, but that pirating music uh, was what destroyed the music industry, and this is not accurate. I mean, it would be a sensible enough conclusion to draw, but if you actually look at the reality, it's not really how it went. My personal experience, and I think for it, it might not be universal but my personal experience definitely was that for major label artists loads of people would pirate their stuff and they were definitely suffering as a result of piracy on the mm-hmm. net but for artists like me people didn't do that and they didn't bother stealing all my stuff like that and you know so when I would give away my music, I could harvest people's emails which you know these days everybody understands how valuable that data is and how useful that is but at the time it was just i don't think most people even thought of it which is why these platforms like spotify had such you know good timing so then you know everybody gets their all their stuff is on these music streaming platforms and for most of us musicians we already had our stuff distributed through various outlets that meant that once spotify was when spotify opted to drop their paid tier and you know in in favor of their you know or when they introduced their free tier which meant that anybody can consume the world's music and they have to put up with a little bit of advertising. Uh-huh. It it meant that was in 2013, and from one day to the next, basically it, I lost half my income, and and a lot wow. of other musicians did because suddenly nobody's buying uh, physical merch. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of my audience is young, and they're all they all got Spotify, and and uh, and of course naturally they, they didn't have money to be spending on CDs in the first place, and any large amount, and suddenly they get all the music in the world for free, and you know Spotify sells it like. Like they're paying the, the artists and like, this is good. You're supporting the artists by listening. And people talk about it like that. You know, they say, we're supporting you by listening to you. And they, they say that kind of stuff and they believe it. And it, it's... um. And it's, it's not the consumer's fault of the music. It, it's Spotify's fault for spreading these lies. But nobody's supporting us by listening to us on Spotify. I mean, that's not, you know, um, it's great if they're enjoying the music and, and, and I'm glad they all have access to the world's music for free. But, um, you know, for their sake as consumers. But it's in terms of all the independent artists in the world, it's been just absolutely disastrous. On the other hand, um, Spotify, now that, most people in the world get their music from music streaming platforms and most of those people get their music from Spotify it can be Spotify can at this point now that it's a complete basically a monopoly a global monopoly like outside of China it now uh, it now can be kind of useful but only in the sense of that uber is useful since there's no more taxis you know you you know there is There are Uber exists and we all use it now because you know, if you want a taxi, a lot of towns just don't have any taxis, so your only option is is these, uh, you know, these apps and and they work better than the taxis did and they're cheaper. And so, you know, it's um, you can see why they're popular, but from the perspective of the the taxi drivers, it's a complete and utter disaster. And it's no different with the musicians on Spotify. Well,
1: okay, so um, thank you because I don't use Spotify, I don't know, I I didn't know. I knew it existed, and I knew Joe Rogan went to Spotify, and then it became to me more of a thing with this uh, whole Neil Young, Joe Rogan versus Joe Rogan or whatever. Right. Um, so, to just tell my listeners how they can um, support you, David. That's really important.
0: Well, these days, um, artists that are surviving who aren't like big, you know, major label artists. Are usually um, crowdfunding, you know, and unless they're you know independently wealthy or whatever. <laughs> right. But in my case, it's it's crowdfunding. It's it's platforms like Patreon, and right. that's how you know. I mean, I get my two or three hundred bucks a month from Spotify, which is lovely, but it's you know mm-hmm. not very uh, re- <laughs> nothing compared to I what know. CD sales used <laughs> to be, and uh, you know
1: especially with inflation and the prices oh, of yeah. everything. You know, it's it's just we're we're working harder and getting poorer
0: yeah i know i know, I know somebody whose catalytic converter died in in new york and they say it's going to be like two months before they can get in a catalytic converter to put in his car so he can drive back to michigan
1: yikes yeah so i'm sorry I mean, that's even with the inflation so we got patreon and
0: yeah patreon i mean i started a thing called um that i call my community supported art um, program my All csa right. like community supported agriculture but then patreon came along and now everybody knows what patreon is pretty much so i just say i've i'm on patreon and then uh, these days that's like a shorthand I mean, so many people they know it's a crowd it's a sort of ongoing crowdfunding platform to support artists and other content creators or whoever and um so it's uh, it's a very convenient and it's a wonderfully run um, platform. I, I mean, I, I have no idea if it will continue always to uh-huh. be like that, which is always right. the problem with these platforms. Right. That you never know. Bandcamp used to be much better, and then they started taking a much bigger cut, and and they're no longer a very, uh, you know, very good for the artists anymore. But but Patreon is, is a very well run um, and really really a lifesaver for a lot of people.
1: Well, and I think too is that you know you have. Uh, been for a long, long time. I don't even know how long. <laughs> You've been uh, using your music to <clears throat> bring uh, positive social change and peace. And, you know, you have sacrificed a lot to do uh, to do this. And, you know, you, you perform all over the place and you don't ask for, (laughs) you don't ask for much. And, you know, I know that you um, have a family and things are, and what you do is to make a world a better place, not to become a millionaire. Mm. And so I think that you're the type of, of artist that uh, deserves this kind of support, because it's not for commercial success. You're trying to, sincerely trying to make the world a better
0: place. And the support I'm getting is just barely enough to pay rent. You know, that's, that's right. the kind of support we're talking about because the right. rent keeps going up, you know, it's gone right. up 250% since I moved to Portland 15 years ago. Gee. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, but also it brings to mind to me and maybe just random association, but the, uh, The the whole cancel culture mentality that is so rife across the U.S. uh, left, liberal, whatever, you know, parts of society these days, they kind of it would be funny if it were not so tragic. But I guess the funny part is that I was already canceled in the United States, not from these idiots, but because of the economics of touring in the United States. I I mean – you know this is the music business in the US is it's a disaster and it's partly because of gentrification and the extremely high cost of commercial rent as well as uh, you know residential rent uh, you know and what this does is creates a situation where music venues are barely surviving if they're surviving and they certainly can't afford to pay artists cuz they're too busy coming up with astronomical tens of thousands of dollars for their rent every month you know, so the artists and their workers suffer, not because the venues often don't want to pay artists and workers better. It's because they can't. They're they're just so screwed by their landlords. And I mean, it's just um, it's a disaster. And then you add to that, of course, the, the uh, no more CD sales. And that meant that right. basically from 2013, when Spotify started their free tier, I was I did a few more tours of the United States that were basically totally subsidized by. The fact that I still was making good money touring in Europe, but then um, gigs in Europe uh, are, you know, they they don't pay as well as they used to either because, you know, nobody buys merch in Europe either. So at this point, even with Patreon, um, regardless of cancel culture, I don't tour in the United States anymore. That's why I never have. That's why I haven't seen you in years. If otherwise, I'd be calling you up every time I go to California. But I never go to California. Right. And I, and I never go anywhere, you know, other than Europe. And I go to Europe a lot, but but that's because the gigs, you know, and and it's not because and I love going to Europe and and I'm part of European social movements and and it's a great thing. And and and, you know, no complaints. It's just that the reason I don't tour here is because of economics.
1: Wow. Yeah. Did you I just one last thing. So the Super Bowl. <laughs> we just had a big football game the other night right and I, I, I enjoyed the halftime show but mm-hmm. um my daughter told me that the NFL tried to not pay the backup dancers saying that it would give them good exposure. Does That's that piss you off? because how much friggin money does the NFL have? how much money they charge seven million dollars? per commercial
0: and that be if that were true if that's true that that's um that's absolutely astounding my first my in my first guess just not knowing anything about this allegation is that um I, I can't i mean i don't know if it was in the news or something but it sounds impossible because there are unions when it comes to uh things like um, the super bowl and, and and big events that are put on by you know companies that do big events with television and radio and, and stage, uh, you know, I mean, that involved multiple different unions and I, I'd be really
1: Right. Well, uh, you surprised. would think, you would think, um, my, my daughter's a pretty reliable source, but right. to me, that's just, uh, it, maybe if that's true or not true, it doesn't, wouldn't surprise me. It surprises you, no. but it wouldn't surprise me. But the thing is, is that how much exposure do you need if you're already good enough to dance at the Super Bowl?
0: yeah, exactly right. You, you, you know you you can exposure <laughs> yeah. as they say, you can die of exposure, and that's the you know that's exactly that's the kind of exposure they're talking about. Who can possibly afford to dance for free in the Super Bowl while living in a place as expensive as Los Angeles? I mean, it's just it's just complete insanity to, you know talk about people get good exposure. It's nonsense. You know, in the in the arts generally, I mean, you can't barely make any kind of a living as a dancer. And if you are making any kind of a living as a dancer, it's probably because you're working for TV studios. And if you're working for TV studios, you're getting paid an average of half of what you would have been paid 20 years ago. Right. You know, Netflix—that's what it pays these days with all these different. I mean, there's a lot of demand, and it's the only industry in the arts, pretty much, where there is demand for for you know actors, dancers, musicians, etc. And TV. But TV pays half as much as it used to.
1: But the people in charge aren't earning less than they used to.
0: No, they are just, I mean, they're doing this because they've got the whole business. They, they There's no competition with other industries. And so they can just pick and choose all the artists they want. Everybody goes to L.A. who wants to be an artist. And right. they're all competing with each other. It's just horrible.
1: Well, it's like, um, I just read a... I just saw a meme, so you know I you, you can't pin me down to the acu- accuracy of this, but it said the CEO of Dunkin' Donuts thinks $15 an hour is too much, and he makes $4,339 an hour. Yeah, well, but he yeah. doesn't want to pay his Scum. workers. Fifteen dollars an hour, which is probably true. You know, it, it's probably if they say 4339 $4, dollars an hour, that sounds pretty.
0: That sounds right.
1: Accurate. And,
0: and then not paying. I mean, and I know, you know, I lived in Boston for many years, and that's where Dunkin' Donuts is from, right. and that that is one of the most expensive cities in North America, and it's right. just crazy to be you know, not wanting to pay your workers. It, it's not like they came from Alabama, where fifteen bucks an hour might actually go somewhere.
1: But I'm thinking also that the $15 an hour movement started when $15 an hour wasn't even enough
0: Absolutely. to,
1: li- to live in the United States.
0: Now it needs to be, it should be $25 an hour. I mean, with the, the amount that rent is going up, especially in most of the country, maybe there's not, maybe not everywhere, but, you know, it sure should be a lot higher than $15 in most of the country because you can't afford to live on that kind of money. You know?
1: But isn't federal it, minimum wage still under $8 an hour?
0: Yeah, I believe so. It's awesome. it's insane. Yeah.
1: Do you have a website?
0: Oh yeah, davidrovics dot com and uh-huh. and my podcast can be found there too. Davidrovics dot slash this week.
1: Awesome. Well, David Rovics, thank you so much for being on the soapbox this week, and it was really um, great to get uh, to reconnect with you, even yeah. if it's in this way.
0: I know, even this way, it's been great. <laughs> Lovely to hear your voice, Cindy. Okay. Hope to see you soon.
1: Oh my goodness. I hope so. It would be nice to get out of Vacaville. Yeah. <laughs> okay, David. It would be nice to go anywhere. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. That's the soapbox for this edition. As always, I hope you were informed and inspired. Go to davidrovics.com and his songs of social significance to hear his music, subscribe to his podcast, or become a patron. Like I said in the show, he is very deserving of being supported. As always, I'd like to thank my engineer, Don DeBar. I'd like to thank David Rovix for his couple, almost two decades long friendship, and I'd, and what he does as a social justice activist and peace activist. And I'd thank you all for listening to and supporting the soapbox you can also go to cindy sheehan soapbox and support me or become a patron of cindy sheehan soapbox as well i am cindy sheehan you have been listening to the soapbox peace out for now